walks into a hotel. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> he hands the innkeeper three nails and he asks, Don't you ever fucking die? You put me up for the night? Welcome everyone to My Bleeding Ears, episode number 51. With me today is Jesslyn, as always. Hello. And we have a special guest today. His name is Brent Ferrari. Hello. And we're going to be discussing a bunch of movies that we have seen lately, mostly Jesslyn. Uh, older, an older film, so a lot of newer films, and of course our movie of the week. So let's get this started. Uh, our first movie that we're going to talk about today is a movie that Jesslyn saw on her own, because I really didn't care all that much, was is The Nun. Yes. So The Nun is another spinoff, like Annabelle was, of The Conjuring movies. Correct. Um, it's The director is Corin... Corin Hardy, who only did The Hallow, which we have seen. It's on we Netflix. We have seen, yeah. yeah. It's okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the writer is Gary Doberman. Obviously, James Wan gets a story credit, but he didn't write it. Uh, Gary Doberman, who wrote the screenplay for It, which seemed kind of promising. Right. And Annabelle and Annabelle creation. And I walked in with low expectations, but even those low expectations weren't met. It's really not very good. Um, I think I said to you right after that that they were really banking on me not having heard of Silent Hill at all. <laughs> yes, I have. Or not right. having seen Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Right, right, they ripped right. off both those. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and the, the strange thing that I heard from this movie, too, is that the, the character that Tessa Formiga is playing is not the same character that her sister portrays in the Conjuring movies. Right. Which I think is just like, why? <laughs> why yeah. did you do that? So it seemed really random. Right. And I won't spoil I mean, the ending kind of... I don't know, annoyed me a little bit, but I guess it was sort of expected. I won't ruin it for you because it's still in the theaters, but I don't know, I give it kind of a... Oh, that's that's a thumbs down if yeah. you weren't able to see that. Mm -hmm. Most farts are thumbs down. Yeah. Uh, Brent, do you like the Conjuring <laughs> movies at all? Yeah, I thought the first one was alright. Uh, I didn't mind it. You, oh, you didn't mind? <laughs> you <laughs> to were... make you angry. <laughs> uh, okay, and uh, with the, like, the Annabelle movies, did you see any of those, or were you just kind of Conjuring, that's it, I'm done, I've seen what I... I wanted to see and that that's about it kind of thing or I feel like I saw one of the Annabelle movies but I don't remember it so maybe that tells you okay. what Annabelle is well you know you know uh the first Annabelle movie wasn't really all that good but the second one I appreciated a lot more and I thought it went through the story a lot better and there's even just the filmmaking of the second one it's by a Mike Flanagan who's an up-and-coming director he did Hush he did uh, Oculus so I really like his his films. So the set the the prequel of Annabelle is much much better than the one that came out right after the Conjuring movies. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, Jessalyn, you also saw a simple favor. I did. <clears throat> so I, I feel like they didn't promote this movie a whole lot until it came out, and now they're promoting the hell out of it. Um, so I saw it in the theaters. Obviously, that's where it is. <clears throat> it's directed by Paul Fake, who wrote a bunch of and uh, directed a bunch of episodes of The Office, Nurse Jackie, Bridesmaids, Spy, and the latest Ghostbusters movie. And the writer was Jessica Scharzer. She wrote the screenplay, and she's written a bunch of American Horror Story episodes. And also Nerve, that Emma Roberts... Uh, what, Dave Franco? Dave Franco movie, <laughs> which was that bad. I saw it. Um, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I went in with absolutely no expectations, except that I thought I would really love seeing Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively together. And I did. They were a lot of fun. It's not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's definitely a movie that when it's on Netflix, I'm just going to put it on in the background all the time. So they had pretty good chemistry. Oh, great chemistry, yeah. yeah. And Blake Lively can, Lively can really carry her own movie. I'm impressed with her. I officially love her now. So <laughs> officially now. Officially. Okay. I've always liked her, but yeah, I love her. Now it's up to love. Yeah. So yeah, you know, that's pretty cool with movies like this where there, you have two two characters or two actors who can really play well off each other and that becomes more of a movie than the actual plot of the movie. Yeah. Lethal Weapon <clears throat> where their characters are, are or maybe one of their sequels where you go and see those characters instead of the plot or what they're getting into right. next. Right. Because you like them together no exactly. matter what. Yeah. Um, so yeah I would definitely <laughs> say see this movie uh, Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick were really funny. It's based on a book, which I'm reading right now, and so far, I gotta say, they took kind of a dull book, and they made a really batshit, crazy, fun movie out of it. Alright, cool. So well, yeah, enjoyed. Would I, will I enjoy it, or? I honestly don't know. <laughs> Brent, do you think Brent would enjoy it? I really don't know. I know even less. But I want you both to watch it so we can talk about it. <laughs> I think I'd enjoy it. Yeah, I think that you'd have fun at least seeing those two actresses in a movie together. Both of you. I mean... Yeah. Like you at least don't have anything against these. No, two not, at all. Right? not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. A movie that I was a little surprised by. Uh, it was suggested by Jessalyn. We were just watching TV in bed, and we we're like, "Hey, let's watch a movie." And then we're scrolling through films, and she's like, "Oh, Heaven Can Wait." <clears throat> and me thinking she's joking around, I'm like, <laughs> "Sure, fuck it, let's go. Heaven Can Wait." And you know, she was serious. <laughs> it's a movie I've seen so many times in my childhood. It's on HBO. And I was just like, hey, heaven can wait. I'm, you know, scrolling through movies on streaming uh, apps. I've never seen it before. So. And you're like, hell yeah, my atheist husband is going to love this. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's check out this movie from my childhood and see if it holds up. And thankfully, it pretty much did. I it was did relieved. hold up, yeah. yeah. A little unbelievable in some parts. Like, yeah, Warren Beatty, a quarterback. He's like five foot yeah. three. Like, right. oh yeah, Doug, the Doug Flutie story, it would be great. Yeah, and I will say about it that seeing it as an adult, I'm pretty sure that character was meant to be a black man uh -huh. watching the whole movie. Uh -huh. um, so it's too bad they kind of chickened out, especially because Chris Rock remade it and right, it's called right. Down to Earth, and I think that's kind of why. Right, um, right. So that's, that was sort of disappointing, but who doesn't love Warren Beatty? So I thought it held up. I still liked it. And you did like it? Uh, I thought it was okay. I thought the movie was a little disjointed you didn't know if it wanted to be a comedy a serious movie and then there was just scenes where i don't know if i should laugh or i should you know be concerned about things so 
emotionally, I, I just wasn't invested as much as I think I could have been because just the, the tone of the movie was all over the place. I see what you mean. Can I read the synopsis <clears throat> yeah, sure. really quick? So, a Los Angeles Rams quarterback accidentally taken away from his body by an overanxious angel before he was meant to die returns to life in the body of a recently murdered millionaire. And I do agree that it's just jointed. And I think, so the writer, the first writer credit, oh, no, I'm sorry, the the director credit is Buck Henry. I feel like Warren Beatty sort of took this movie over. He's got a screenplay credit and a right. director credit. And I feel like it was one of those times where a popular actor was like, no, I don't like this. We're going to do yeah, this no. instead. <clears throat> Get this out of here. We're, we're exactly. filming this. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another thing that really bothered me about it is like, why is that angel such a dick to him? You know, like like why don't you just tell him? Or, or in you like okay, the guy who the over anxious angel who who yeah. took him away before he died, like dude, he's not like sorry at all. <laughs> like he's just still no. a dick. I don't know. He reminds me of that guy in my office who won't admit to making a mistake and. Treats you like crap, even though it's clearly his fault. Whatever it is that happened that he's treating you like crap about, I don't know. Well, seals are notoriously arrogant. Truth. Truth. Yes. That, that is, very you true. know, you. That's a good point. <laughs> they do not admit to their mistakes. <laughs> arrogant angel. Is that a metal band anyway? It should be. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get to some of the horror movies here. Well, The Nun was a horror movie, but here's a couple of new horror movies that came out lately, too. One that's been getting a lot of press and a lot of praise lately is the movie Hereditary from uh, A24 Films. That's Mm the same people who brought you, like, uh, uh, It Comes at Night, and I want to say the more, like, hipstery horror movies... In, in a way, yeah. I would say. The, like the, the production the, company, you mean? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like the Thinking Man's horror movie, kind of, in a, yeah. in a way, I'll say. Hereditary. After the family matriarch passes away, a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences and begin to unravel dark secrets. Uh, I think this is maybe a big study on uh, schizophrenia. She said it was DID in the movie. This. Disassociation Identity Disorder. Discri- disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which is commonly uh, mistaken with oh, schizophrenia. With, uh, mm. All right, then. Well, I stand corrected. Thank you for watching the same movie I did. Yeah, yeah all so I think it centers around a lot like that. I may yeah. have gotten the terminology incorrect, but yes, it. I think it revolves around... Uh, um, Kind of like a mental illness, or or repeating the same thing over and over again. Uh, I thought the movie was a little bit too long. I still enjoyed it though. But once I said again with the A twenty four movies, it's it's very very hipstery kind of long shots and long takes and everything, and, and it doesn't spell everything out for you either. Which I like. I yeah. like that also. Jessalyn, what did you think about the movie? I I I. Think I liked it? I mean, <laughs> the end is nuts, and I'm right. not going to spoil it here. And I guess I just thought it's not going to really go there, and then it totally did go there. Right, but, right. Yeah, I, I think that I liked it. Yeah, definitely. I love Tony Collette. I love everything that she does. Um, I was saying this morning, Brett and I were texting. It's a shame that she's not going to be nominated for this. I really don't think she's going to get I, I any recognition for this. Right. It's I don't think bad. so either because yeah. it's a horror movie. And right. They don't get recognition. At all. Right. Unless you have a huge name attached to it. Um, Anthony Hopkins is one right. for, like, The Silence of the Lambs. Then, yeah, of course it will be. But 
well, we'll see, you know, because sometimes the Academy picks these smaller films and holds them up high. But So we'll True. see. I hope yeah, so. We'll I really do. Uh, that girl in the movie, I always thought there was something wrong with her, like, physically. But then I mm-hmm. looked it up, and I googled, like, 14 pages, and there's really nothing wrong with her. She's just kind of weird looking. Okay. And she has a sister who looks just like her, and they're not twins. Okay. So that's just the, the way she looks. I, I she's face and hair don't go together. No, no. Yeah. She's a unique looking person. Right, unforgettable face. That's right, for sure. absolutely. Brent, and, you really liked this movie. Yeah, I really did. Um, I think Larry's right about the mental health thing, especially in the title when they call it hereditary. I think that's trying to push the idea of um, does she just have a disease like her mother did? Do her kids have diseases too? Mm-hmm. Mental health issues. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, there, I, I don't want to spoil anything either, but there's definitely something that happens early on that was just like, holy shit. Like, yes. Did that actually happen? Is this uh, so early <laughs> yeah. in the movie? Yes. Right. I, I know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> and yet, of course, I don't want to spoil it because this movie is still a bit new. And, yeah, you can uh, rent it on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and yeah. do it. Rent it on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. And I think even scarier than that is just the aftermath of the point we're talking about is yeah. is really creepy, and a lot of movies just don't go that way. So, uh, yeah, I like Hereditary. I'll, I give it a B. Uh, Me too. Yeah, Ooh. I gave it a B. Mm-hmm. I gave it an A-. minus. All right, cool. And Millie Shapiro, the little girl... I read that she's a big Harry Potter fan and she's in Slytherin, which makes sense because she's evil. Aww. <laughs> Not all Slytherin are evil, are they? Not all, but... Uh, Most. <laughs> Some of them are just yeah. weak and... The ones whose faces don't fit their heads are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she, she kind of reminds me of, uh, if you've ever seen the movie... Um, Shit, the one with Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. I forgot the name of his. Don't. God, it's a real creepy, like uh, a movie that takes place in Italy. Donald Sutherland's character uh, and Julie Christie's um, their characters lose their daughter, and they think they see her around Italy, and it's just and there's also around the same time there's a murder. God, I can't think of the movie right now, but uh, she kind of looks fast. like. Fried green tomatoes. Uh, uh, <laughs> don't, don't look so, now. Don't look now. Yeah. yeah, that's the movie. And at the end of the movie is the reveal of you know that's not his daughter running around that he thinks he sees. That's the actual killer going around, and she ends up killing the Donald Sutherland. So spoilers. Oh, and we've been out for forty years. Nineteen seventy-three. <laughs> yeah, it, it, longer than that now. Forty-five years. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't watched it by now. Okay. Uh, and our last movie before we hit our movie of the week is one that I've seen has gotten huge praise, and it's the the Panos Cosmatos. That's the name of the director. He did Beyond the Black Rainbow and writer, yeah. Uh, Mandy with Nicolas Cage and a bunch of other like Bill Dukes in it. Uh, that's and that's about it. All of the people I. I Recognize from here, but there's other people too. That's um, the main uh, the main bad guy in the movie, uh, Brother Swan. Uh, was uh, no Jeremiah Sand. Yeah. I've seen him before. He was he, uh, Batman's dad in Batman. Yeah, he right. plays Thomas Wayne, and he's also in a bunch of episodes of Homeland. But I don't think I've gotten far enough to see. Right him. in yeah. Chronicles of Riddick, he plays one of the guys too. Okay. So, um, Brent, you didn't see this movie, right? I did not. I saw Nicolas Cage and decided not to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> he picked between that one and Hereditary. <laughs> well, that, well, it was a good pick. Jesslyn, <laughs> what did you think about Mandy? Because you, uh, 
you zoned out during this movie when we initially watched it, and I think you had to go back and watch it again. Yeah, so I went back and watched it again by myself, and I really paid attention. And this movie was made for dudes who love Nicolas Cage, ironically, <laughs> or think movies are good when they're shot in weird colors with a lot of silence, even if there's no actual substance to that silence or nothing's really happening. And I'm not saying that these dudes are stupid. I'm saying that this movie thinks those dudes are stupid. And if you don't believe me, (laughs) Nick Cage's face literally melts in a scene where he drops LSD. Like, the director and writer didn't even think you would understand that unless he literally showed it. So I think you're smart, you guys. It's this movie who thinks you're dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. It seems like the the people who did this movie were like, hmm, what, what colors go good with black? And it's just this movie's very dark, and it's hard to see some of the some of the bad guys in this movie because there's this cool bunch of bike this biker gang that would terrorize people, and they bought some like bad acid one time, and then they became nuts. Yeah. So there's like cool characters, but you don't really get to see them because it's so fucking dark in this movie, and, and the scenes that they're in. Uh, they kind of like remind me of Cenobites in a way, but right. you can't fucking see anything. Their and, voices are all distorted. It's funny that you said Cenobites because it's shot with such that weird color scheme. I kept thinking, okay, this is hell. The writer and director is trying to tell me that they're all in hell right now. Right. Because it's such a surreal, you know, it's shot in such a surreal way. And then those bikers are so weird and their voices are all distorted and you can't see their faces like Cenobites. So, right. I was trying to get way more out of this movie than there was actually. I think, yeah, Yeah. I think that's a big thing with this movie is people are trying to get something out of it, which there really isn't anything. I think this is just... uh, Nicolas Cage in his underwear for a while. A a, a (laughs) semi-character study in a way. and (laughs) Like with some dark and throw some really bright reds and blues in there and... There's no dialogue in this movie. It's just monologues for the most part. Mm-hmm. So uh, I give it a C minus. There were I like some of the the fighting scenes in it, and I think it, the uniqueness of the idea of of or how I, I thought this movie was was a a few different volumes of a of like a a medieval kind of book, you know, or uh, Dungeons and Dragons kind of book, or Choose Your Own Adventure book, where we, the three different acts that we're watching, shows you the different titles of the books you're about to read. But, at the same time, those books seem really fucking boring, and who would wants yeah. to read the first two? Because the last one is has all the action and everything in it. So yeah, I'm gonna give it a C-. minus. I don't even think... <laughs> I don't even think it's unique. It's I've seen Last House on the left. I haven't seen I Spit on Your Grave, but I know that this movie is kind of a reverse gender role of those two movies. I don't think oh, it's yeah, terribly, I agree. it's a revenge film. I give it an F. I'm mad that I paid for it and watched it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you're going to watch this one, Brent, because it evens out too. No, much. Brent, I need you to. <laughs> no, yeah. see, she wants you to suffer now. And <laughs> I mean, feel I my know. pain. Every now and then, Nick Cage comes out with something awesome, and you're like, all right, Nick Cage is back. And mm-hmm. then his next four movies, he just shits right. all over you. Yes. For thinking that. So, I do want to see. not him coming back, I take it. It's no. Not. I think maybe, I haven't seen it yet, but maybe that Mom and Dad movie. Oh, yeah. And I heard that one's pretty interesting, too. Mm-hmm. But so, um, we'll see. I, I I don't think Nick Cage has ever been back for me. Yeah. Uh, I think he's just <laughs> always been out there. So. <laughs> you saw him in an airport in Vegas. I did. Right? I, yeah. The thing is, I saw him. 
And he was wearing like this purple blazer jacket or, or corduroy jacket. And like a, he had like a Ramon shirt on underneath it. Like a white fedora. And yeah, and he's walking <laughs> with his kid and his wife. I'm like, oh, fuck, like Nick Cage. And then like three days later, or even maybe the, like the next day, I look and someone, there was like a post of Nick Cage and he was hanging out with like a Marilyn Manson or some shit. And the date was like two days prior to when I saw him, yet he was wearing the same thing I saw him in the airport. <laughs> and I was like, you filthy bastard. He's a weird dude. And then yeah. I saw the airline he was going to and it was Southwest. And I was like, really? I'm flying better than Cage here? I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> Great. If he flips out on Southwest, I'll be fine on United. Right? He probably flew the plane, though. <laughs> probably. That sounds right. <laughs> well, maybe in Zeus's butthole he did. And we'll see from there. <laughs> You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Our movie of the week is the 1975 film Rollerball. Rollerball takes place in 2018. Oh, it's this year. (laughs) Where big corporations have taken over the world, but at the same time, poverty and crime is no more. Not like today at all. No, not like today. Nothing like it. (laughs) (laughs) The sport of Rollerball is implemented to satiate the masses, for they are no longer a witness to outside violence. We learn other sports exist only in memories, and the corporate world owns the rollerball, rollerball leagues and its participants. Jonathan, a 10-year veteran of the sport and worldwide hero, is being forced into retirement by the executives. Will he go quietly, or will he lead his team to the championship? I wrote that out, too. And <laughs> I'm, not take, I'm not taking IMD synopsises anymore. <laughs> God damn it. Great job. Because who knows who writes those things? I'd rather write Anybody. Anybody can write those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just like Wikipedia. It's, mm-hmm. I don't get stuff from there very often either. Yeah. Uh, the director is uh, Norman Jewison. He's most... <laughs> is, is that the way to say his name? Well, I mean, it just sounds like someone really racist made up that name. <laughs> like his family got to Ellis Island and Mel Gibson was working the counter. And... <laughs> I think it's pronounced Jewison. 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 It's not, but I would oh, feel okay. more comfortable if we said Jewison. Jewison. Yeah. All right, Norman Jewison, who directed a bunch of different films, uh, most notably he did Moonstruck, In the Heat of the Nights, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, Tons of stuff. It's just so it's much. it's amazing the the amount of work and the difference between each 
film. You know, there's just not. He just doesn't stick to one genre. He does like sports movies like Rollerball and The Hurricane, and yet he does a movie like Bogus about an imaginary friend <laughs> with Whoopi Goldberg. And his, you ever see Bogus? No, or, I've never Gerard, even heard of Gerard Bogus. Depardieu is like a um, he's like an imaginary friend, and I never saw it either. I just thought it was really silly because. Oh, Gerald De- Gerard Depardieu is just a silly looking dude. He is. Mm-hmm. Have like, you heard of this? Yeah, I've never, even I've heard, never of heard of that movie. <laughs> no, I, I have. I think you made it up. I, uh, I kind of always got it mixed up with Angus because uh, uh, yeah. I think the protagonists in the movie, or at least the characters in the movie, both had like a Pete Rose haircut and were both somewhat obese. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, it is written by William Harrison. You really didn't do all that much. Uh, but. I found out, you just told me. Yeah, so William Harrison wrote a short story that appeared in a magazine, I forgot what, um, but that's what it was based on. And oh, the roller, uh, Rollerball murder. murder, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's really cool stories about him, uh, which we'll get to later on yeah. and at the end when we're talking about that. Our, our little things, our little, we like to pepper in at the end with uh, just little facts about stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting about a, a confrontation he had with people after this movie came out. It's pretty cool. Um, so, beginning of the movie, opening to an empty rollerball stadium. It's kind of like a, uh, just roller derby stadium in a way, too. Do you, you guys like roller roller derby at all? Like have you it. ever been to a roller derby? I have a friend that used to do it, but I've never actually seen it. Okay, it's... Yeah. I have another friend who broke her leg doing it. So. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a, kind of like professional wrestling on skates in a way, because they're not actually hitting each other it's kind of more they take bumps and everything but it's it's not vicious like rollerball <laughs> it is so it's kind of like that but with violence and it's real and there's spikes and this this ball this ball that the 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 different teams try and score is probably like 10 15 pounds it's a heavy metal ball mm-hmm. uh and then it's the start of a rollerball game and we meet our main character of jonathan he is uh the star player of the houston rollerball team I don't believe the teams have names. They're just represented by the the city where they're from or the corporation that owns them. Because now in this world that uh, in 2018, uh, corporations own everything, including people and and businesses and, and players and probably own like your dishes too. It's it's a crazy thing that's that's happening. But uh, I guess the Government didn't work out, and corporations stepped up and just took everything over. Jonathan, of course, is the star player, and he uh, his man his uh, his main guy Moon Pie, which I thought was an interesting name. <laughs> Do they still serve Moon Pies in the future? Because I never see one at all. Yeah, you can find Moon Pies. <laughs> <laughs> but I have the corporations on the Moon Pies now. Right. Yeah, that guy John Beck. Who plays Moon Pie? He's done so much TV, and he was in like every single soap opera that's ever existed. Yeah, I Fable saw that. Lives, Passions, Dallas, Santa Barbara, Love Boat. He's got a nice chiseled look to him. You yeah, know? he's like got a the, soap opera face. And uh, the team of Houston is playing Madrid, and uh, Houston wins, and Jonathan scores all the points. So, so pretty much, Jonathan is the Michael Jordan of this this movie or of all time or he's the the Wayne Gretzky or the Babe Ruth he's bigger than the game he's playing 
So uh, they win, and then there's a shower scene where we finally get to see a couple dicks, you know. Um, <laughs> we do. <laughs> it's always women in, like, shower scenes like that, like Carrie shower scenes. But this time it's no, men. <laughs> it's men. You get to see some pipe finally, and one of them is just, like, a few frames of pipe, but you see it. It's there. So uh, there's two pipe in this movie, and yeah. I no breasts. And we'll get this out of the way right now. <laughs> it's a very important day there's, in my bleeding yeah. ears because there's more dicks than boobs. <laughs> uh, which leads us to a pretty important scene where we get to meet uh, Mr. Bartholomew, who's the executive who um, owns this team, or is at least in charge of the corporation that owns the Houston team. And everything seems fine. Everyone's happy. You know, the big boss came down. Jonathan's the hero. Everyone's surrounding him and everything. And... Uh, Mr. Bartholomew says, congratulations, guys. Good luck, Tokyo, coming up. And Jonathan, I need to talk to you when this is over. And next day comes around, and Jonathan meets up with Mr. Bartholomew, and he tells Jonathan, you have to retire. Jonathan's like, why, why, why? I don't understand. I love this game. Why do I have to quit? And so this is on his mind throughout the rest of the movie. And everyone he seems to come across keeps telling him the same thing. And we figure out, Later on in the movie, why? Yeah, and he's got, like, nothing else except this game. Yeah, that's all he has. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Bartholomew is played by um, uh, what's your, John Houseman, who uh, he was in the Paper Chase and its um, series, and he's in tons of stuff. The one thing I remembered him from is from The Naked Gun. He is the... <laughs> The uh, the uh, the teacher for the student driver in Naked Gun were uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, Stephanie. <laughs> Gently extend your arm. Extend your middle finger. Very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's I was like, holy shit, it's the guy from Naked Gun. But anyway, he was huh. a huge actor and did lots of TV, lots of British movies and everything. So very imposing kind of guy, and he's got wild, like Ernest Borgnine eyebrows. Like, you're an executive, you don't have, like, an an eyebrow clipper? Come on, man. Or at least someone to clip those things. It bothered me throughout the movie, because he would, like, have a scene where he he turns and looks, and, like, you can see the the stray eyebrow just, you know, come into frame, and just, I don't know, it kind of took me out of the movie. But really not that. (laughs) I watched it with my wife, and my favorite TV show is The Venture Brothers, and in one scene, she's like, is he the monarch? (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah it's very interesting just starting from there just um having an executive tell their top star to quit uh especially without an actual response and and with this too we find out that jonathan's prior wife or girlfriend was taken away from him and we learn that the people the the players or people higher up in society are, I guess, assigned uh, partners, and they can take them away at any time they want. You kind of see that women are even more objects now than they were whenever, and they really don't have a voice in this movie at all. Uh, You see that in this, you kind of get a sense of that in this scene and the scene coming up where Jonathan goes home and then his assigned wife is there and she's like, he kind of blows right by her. He doesn't care for her at all. He kind of still loves his old partner, which left him because uh, she didn't like all the violence he was in. And she actually ends up being taken away by one of those executives because he likes her and he wants to marry her. So he's 
he really does have nothing left in life other than Rollerball. Because everyone just keeps taking away everything from him and mm -hmm. hoping, I guess... I don't know how long they've been trying to get Jonathan to retire, but it kind of seems like this wasn't the first attempt to do that. Oh, okay. Uh, in the game of Rollerball, he's been playing for 10 years, and it doesn't seem like the lifespan of a player for Rollerball is that long. For the NFL, it's even shorter. It's three years. Three years, yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, unless you're a superstar, you're a mega athlete, it's going to be so much longer. So yeah, it's very interesting to see how things played out in this world. Just about human rights and everything, and how it just didn't really go through at the end when these big corporations took over. So I think the catch was the corporation always made it out like everyone gets this comfort, all these great comforts. You get to enjoy the comforts, but they're not ever actually yours. Right. You can take it away at any point. Exactly. You know, uh, I never mind. I was going to make a horrible joke about library books anyway. I've got that. <laughs> yeah, when people are so women usually get it the worst. Yeah, and they do. Yeah. And you see throughout this movie, and it's just little cuts. It's not really explained. It's really vague. This movie is pretty vague, and you, you kind of really got to look for little little things going on. But there's parts where you, uh, where you see just a woman weeping, and you don't know why, but you can kind of yeah. figure that out from there. And... Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> they're just used as objects throughout this movie and even the girl the woman he loves is still employed by the executives and by these corporations that her feelings may never have been true in the mm -hmm. first place which really sucks for Jonathan you know I mean uh, so he finally goes home and we get to meet his old coach uh, and then you can kind of suspect that maybe they fired his old coach because I mean they wanted him to retire because why isn't he still his, his coach? And he, he asks his coach, like, can you figure out, like, who's trying to do this to me? Who wants me to retire? Which one of these ex executives wants to do this and why? And he, the look on his face is very telling because he was very, very, very hesitant to do it, uh, it seems like, and just the way he looks. And when James Conn is asking him this, he's standing up and he's very uncomfortable in this situation. You kind of get the feeling that he is not may not be who he says he is. Uh, it's a very interesting scene. I like that one. I uh, feel like he genuinely cared about James Conn, but he didn't want to lie to him. Right. So mm -hmm. he didn't want to say anything. Right, exactly. <clears throat> so we get another scene where Jonathan's still trying to figure out like why this is happening. So he goes to the library, um, and all the things in the library have now been condensed and edited. Uh, which is <laughs> which is crazy, you know, just to think that your your government can do that, just to take away all this information that you've collected throughout time and just edit it to where you see it fit, yeah. which uh, which is horrible, you know. <laughs> and you they they mentioned that you can go to the unedited books, but it's in like one place, one place. in the United States. So right. you probably have to have some money to be able to get there and read those books. Later on, we get to see like a training uh, session with Jonathan and Moonpie, where they're teaching a bunch of new recruits into their rollerball league about you know, follow my lead. We're a team here. We we do all this together, and and it's just showing that a lot of people are, are behind Jonathan, except one guy who's kind of like oh, I've done you know I've, I've played rollerball before. I don't need to listen. And of course, Jonathan teaches him a lesson because Jonathan is the greatest. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's a it's a cool telling scene to show that there's all these people surrounding Jonathan, and they're not even surrounding their coach, who is just pretty much put there as a head anyway. I don't think he's 
necessarily a great coach. And the coach even tells him later on in the movie, he's like, you know what, you should just fucking walk away, dude. <laughs> just walk away from this like everyone else. So I like that. That was a nice little touch they did with that training scene. He ends up going back home once again, and he's got another new wife because the other one, I guess, didn't work out. And he he doesn't want these new companions at all, really. He just kind of just doesn't want anything to do with them because he's still hung up on his old one and his old, uh, I guess, wife. I don't know. They really never explain if they're they're married or if it's just a I don't know, just a partnership, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I mean, the women seem like escorts, honestly. They don't, it's yeah. pretty vague as to whether or not, she, like you said, she even cared about him in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for him, too, just like you do, but I also feel bad for her. That right, this yeah. Is, this is always going to be her job. Even her husband is her job. She doesn't have a real life. And later family. on, yeah, later on at uh, the party scene where they're going to announce Jonathan's retirements, where he actually doesn't re- retire at there either. So, But it's just like this huge party that's, the executives put together to show off Jonathan and to get him re- to retire. And they have all these wealthy people in there, along with their partners and everything, too. And we get to see Jonathan's old girlfriend or partner there. And she's like, I married an executive. Or I've got all this now. This is all. And he's like, oh, that's great and everything. And she just still looks, like, horrible. And you feel bad for her because she's. this isn't her choice. And it is it is a form of, like, an... A, indentured uh, uh, servitude. servitude. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it slavery because I guess they have a choice in a way, but seeing as the corporations own everything, you really don't have a choice unless you right. want to just be poor. Right. I would always tread carefully around the word slavery, too. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what, that's what yeah. I did. <laughs> but anyway, at this party, it's, it's you see like all these bourgeois people and they're, they really don't give a fuck about Jonathan because... They see him in the beginning, and he comes in, everyone's cheering Jonathan, and everyone kind of goes back to what they're doing, and at the end of this party, Jonathan's just sitting around, you know, just kind of hanging out, and no one's paying attention to him at all. They're all fucked up, because there's this new synthetic drug that's going around to kind of put people at ease and put them in a haze, I guess. Yeah, and, like Tic Tacs. Yeah, they, have yeah. These, yeah they, they look like Altoid cases they're <laughs> carrying around. Even the, the executive has one, too, because he... He threw one to Moon Pie in the locker room. He's like, here, you take this, young man. <laughs> so, yeah, the drugs are plentiful to keep people just uh, subservient, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you guys get out of this this uh, party scene? Um, I think they definitely made it a point to show how avidly they were watching Jonathan's highlights because it's all just, you know, violent highlights and they're all watching it and they look like almost animals staring at the screen like they wanted Mm -hmm. to hurt someone i think they made a strong point of doing that and a lot of it was weird and didn't make sense because there was a woman crying for no reason right yeah moon pie is off doing moon pie stuff right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was uh it's (laughs) it it was it was (laughs) it was a strange party but you get to learn at the end that the executive uh bartholomew once again says like you know you're embarrassing me right now you need to retire i'm changing the rules or we're changing the rules for your next game in tokyo if you go that we're gonna there's gonna be limited substitutions and um it's gonna be like no penalties so this is just gonna be crazy if you're gonna go ahead and go play tokyo you're gonna get fucking hurt and he's pretty much is like i'm gonna 
I'm going to do this thing that I love. And, of course, he goes to Tokyo. They win the game, but Jonathan gets a little hurt, and they, I don't know, they render Moon Pie brain dead. And they mean to do that, too. Because I'm thinking maybe the, uh, the Japanese team has been paid off to say, hey, uh, try and kill Jonathan, but she can't take care of Moon Pie because he's his enforcer and he kind of has his back, so this will make it a little bit easier for us. Uh, that Tokyo game was pretty intense, uh, especially since the first rollerball game that we saw, and there's only three games that we see in this movie. The first one is, by the numbers, kind of a, a game, but this the, the second one is a lot more violent. There's uh, more fire. There's uh, I believe someone gets hit in the head by the rollerball this time yeah. around. Uh, it's just it's pretty crazy, but Houston ends up winning again. Uh, and I feel like there are a few <clears throat> shots taken at the Japanese. I even wrote a note like, "Are we still mad at the Japanese in 1975?" <laughs> that was awkward. Well, Moon Pie had some <laughs> Moon thoughts about the Japanese. Oh yeah, he had many <laughs> he thoughts. He kept calling them little guys, you know. Yeah. And, and when the I, I believe Houston hired this one guy to teach them about the Japanese player and their techniques. And Mupai just totally just didn't listen to this dude at all. He just was <laughs> hyping everyone up. He's like, yeah, there's no problem. They're little guys. We'll fuck them up. And well, he's the one who ends up getting fucked up. So, yeah. I guess Bye, Mupai. <laughs> well, he's not dead. I mean, just brain dead. Right. I feel like he Fine. was always brain dead. Yeah. <laughs> just even more now. He can just still talk and he's do drugs. He's lost motor functions now. <laughs> Hell of a rollerball player, but yeah. Yeah. Fucking dead. <laughs> uh, so um, Jonathan is of course really sad about this and uh, he goes to visit Moon Pie and they're like uh, hey can you sign off so we can unplug this guy and get moving on with our lives and he's like dude I'm not going to kill Moon Pie um, bring him back to the United States and I'll kind of take care of him it, this is all implied of course this is just what I'm getting from right. him mm-hmm. but when he goes back home he sees that his first partner is there um, to meet him and, of course, he loves her, and she stays with him, I think, I believe, for like a day or two. And then she tries to convince him to retire also, and he's like, well, they probably sent you here just to do that. And I, you know, I had this love for you, and it was never real. And throughout this movie, he would constantly put on videos of her playing in the background because he missed her so much. But when he just comes to the conclusion that everything is just bullshit, he erases all the files of her and goes on to the next rollerball game, which is no time limit and no rules, <laughs> uh, which takes place in New York. No substitutions. No substitutions either. So it's like, a, I think, what, 12 on 12 or 10 on 10 rollerball game. And that's where, that's where we go to next. And... Shit, gets shit, it's not even a game anymore. And at first, you see the crowd going wild. You know, they're going nuts for this game throughout the whole movie. Of course, like all the fans are going nuts for for this game because I mean, they don't have violence anymore. So here it is on TV or mm-hmm. or in person. But halfway through this game, the crowd gets quieter and quieter and quieter until it's you can hear a pin drop in there. When there's, of course, there's no time limit, so the game will just go on forever until. Everyone is dead, uh, and like, um, or unless one person or one team has the the most remaining people on it, or any remaining people on it, then the game is over. Well, of course, Jonathan survives all of them because they're all out to kill Jonathan, and he lives, and he ends up 
scoring like the the last uh, the point kind of right in front of the executive Bartholomew's face. Mm-hmm. And after that, everyone cheers for uh, for uh, Jonathan, and he then once again becomes bigger in the game, exactly what the executives didn't want. He wasn't he was an individual now and not part of the system, which I can I really love about that. It's just he overcame big money. And anytime that happens, I, I, I have to appreciate that. To, just to have that much charisma and to be able to do that. Like Michael Jordan or or like Michael Jackson or people who have just taken one thing and, and have been the greatest and transcended even that. So I, I can really appreciate that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I liked that. I also liked, and it's scary, and I feel like this in real sports, too, especially football. Sorry, football fans. Right. But the crowd didn't learn anything. Everybody's dead except for Jonathan, and they cheer because they look at these players like animals. It doesn't matter to them that all of these players are dead. Just like it doesn't... It doesn't matter to the NFL, let's say. Right. That all of their players are concussed and suffer permanent brain damage. Right, I agree. After they play football, Mm -hmm. Brett. Yeah, um, I enjoyed the corporate idea. I know it was a lot about futility of individualism. Mm -hmm. Um, Fancy words, but uh, (laughs) the whole point of rollerball was to kind of control people, and it was a team sport, and it was just like football or American football is kind of the ultimate team sport where everyone has to do their job or you don't succeed and it was kind of that's why Johnny Jonathan E was pissing them off so much because you're not supposed to survive 10 years in the sport you're not supposed to be so great that you can overcome the game supposed to teach everyone that you can't do that right Mm -hmm. right so I really like that aspect of the movie there are five deaths in this film (laughs) some of them I know a lot of there seemed like there were a lot of deaths and I just kind of uh I needed one of my notes was how do you count the deaths? I know I, I had to be sure on a lot of them. Okay, there uh, it seemed like there were a lot more, but just the way they were taking some of the people out, and that there was the one Japanese guy who got messed up, and he's just his eyes were wide open. You're like, oh yeah, he's dead. Yeah. So that's how I was able to to differentiate between dead people and mostly dead. Oh, okay, I guess I thought they were all dead. So some <laughs> of them were just out. No, yeah, some of them were injured. You'll see, okay. like, and they'll be taken. I was going to say the sideline. But right in the middle of the track is where all the players are and everything. Okay. So, yeah, you get to see them, you know, messed up and everything. And I like that part where um, Moon Pie gets pulled in and he's brain dead and James Caan just, like, has no emotion, like, when he comes. And he's just kind of focusing on the game. And he sees Moon Pie and he kind of shoots right back out. But when he does that, he goes right for the guys who messed him up and he kills yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I, I, I like that part also because he... All in all, even though he was, in the long run, he was hired to be with Jonathan, he was still his friend. That's something I always like to do is, you know, stick up for your friends or, or something like that were to happen to a friend of yours to be able to take care of it yourself, you know, and, and you know, revenge, I guess, in a way. Uh, but if it's in a sport, you know, uh, no, holds ball, no holds barred sports, then go for it. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part? Uh, my favorite part is that is the whole um, the scene where there, he's at the party where he was supposed to retire and he doesn't at all, and just all the different 
things happening there and just the just the the symbolism and the slow moving parts it's a long scene and just once again with Bartholomew reiterating to Jonathan to quit once again and him just not really getting it yet he needs an explanation why and what I like this Jonathan character too because he's I mean he's not the smartest guy in the world he's not stupid in any way he's He's an athlete, you know, and I think a lot of times in movies where you get an athlete, they, they act like they super smart and you know they know everything and they have all the best lines. And he's just kind of he's a common dude, <clears throat> but he's great at rollerball, mm-hmm. which and I, I not like. That stupid either? No, no, yeah. he's not stupid mm-hmm. at all. So uh, yeah, that's my favorite scene of, of the movie. Brent, you... your favorite scene? Um, my favorite weird scene was when they had some character development for a tree um, right, after, <laughs> right after the party when they all go out all the rich people go out with this future laser gun that blows stuff up they keep showing a tree and they keep zooming in on it and like these silent sequences of showing you this tree mm-hmm. and they blow up the tree but <laughs> that was just I didn't really understand the point of that but uh, <laughs> I think I kind of like the very last scene after he scored the last goal and he's roller skating away, which sounds weird that that's a badass thing to do, but <laughs> um, he has that really like animalistic look on his face and it, the movie ends with that look on his face and everyone's right. cheering for him. And That's my favorite part too, is yeah. when he gets that last goal or whatever you call it. This movie's strange. You know, you go into a movie rollerball and like, oh wow, okay, this is gonna be violent, and this movie's gonna be all about rollerball, and it really isn't. It, the, of course, rollerball is the centerpiece for it, but what's most interesting and important about this movie is everything surrounding it, which the um, um uh, the remake with which Brent saw also yeah. <laughs> failed miserably at, and just every different point in that movie. Even Slipknot couldn't save the film. Yeah. yeah, my second note of the remake was plot is already entirely different. Yes. It was not even close. No, it was, it's, yeah. It... So it has nothing to do with, like, the dystopian, well, it's not dystopian, no. but corporations owning everything, controlling everything. I That's think... all gone from the remake. It takes place in, I think it's supposed to be Kazakhstan, and it's <laughs> really, like, the country's shit. And rollerball is the only cool thing in the country. And then they get Chris Klein, who is unbelievably awful in this movie. (laughs) He comes over there because he's trying to become pro at something in America. Exports or something. (laughs) I never say what, but he joins LL Cool J over there. And, yeah, it's just... As long as it's extreme, baby, I want to play it. And then you get to hear Paul Heyman yell, Rollerball! <laughs> is that all he says in that movie? No, he's got a pretty big. Does he? I, you know, I know Jean Renault is in there too, and he's like the the Bartholomew character, yeah. if I'm correct. Uh, professional Jean Renault. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I, know you. I know who that is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I don't remember much from that movie at all. It it was pretty bad. I, I liked the original, and I was like, oh cool, they made a remake, and that's kind of. I wouldn't say that's right around the time where they started making remakes of things. Well, maybe kind of. They started, like, Starsky and Hutch and shit not too long right. after that. And they're like, hey, let's grab some properties from the 70s and let's remake them. Kind of what they're doing now with the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s. It's just, just, just stop. Stop. It was a com- They were trying to capitalize on a bunch of things. Like, they are trying to capitalize on Chris Klein 
why. But uh, American <laughs> Pie. That's yeah, why. I know why. <laughs> that's a deeper question than that. Yeah. But they're also trying to capitalize on like exports because the rollerball yes. thing there has all these ramps and crazy right. stuff like that. But they didn't show anything cool in that, which really no, they off. didn't. And LL Cool J doesn't even rap, so fuck this. No. <clears throat> fuck the 2002 movie. Who doesn't rap in Deep Blue Sea either? Yeah, he does at the end of the movie. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Withdrawn. <laughs> uh, final grade, Jessalyn? I give it a B minus. Okay. There's a scene where he grabs one of his female partners and kind of threatens her and... Jonathan, that is. Mm-hmm. And I really dislike that scene. It made me not like him very much because she's just doing what she has to do. Mm-hmm. So I knocked it down a letter grade because of that scene. Really so it would have been like an A minus without that scene? It would have been an A minus, yeah. Earlier in that scene is when I started to dislike him more because the whole movie is talking about how the corporation took her away and then they're lying in bed. And he says that, and she's like, no, you're an asshole who didn't pay attention to me. Right. right. And then that's why she left. I'm like, wait, is he delusional? Like, what's going right. on with him? <laughs> like I said earlier, he's uh, more of a, car- a believable character in that way. Yeah. It's Like I said before, it's ver- this movie's very vague with things. You know, they say the corporate wars, but what the hell were the corporate wars? Like, what did that entitle? And, or, yeah. or, and so it's... I guess you can come up with a lot of your own different theories on this movie, which I really like about films that are like this, where you can come up with your own story beforehand. Mm-hmm. I give this movie a B plus. Uh, there are some t- there are some parts that kind of drag a little bit. Uh, it could have been short shortened up. I do like, however, that there weren't as many rollerball scenes, which made them even better and even more brutal when they were shown. But yeah, I'm still going to stick with a B plus. Uh, mm-hmm. Brent, I gave it a C plus. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about in the movie, but I feel like it didn't really succeed in displaying those things. Mm-hmm. Um, my first thought was how many people got hurt filming this because the actual roller bar- rollerball scenes are pretty cool. Yeah, and I did read up about real. that. This is the first movie that stunt performers were given credit for their... um, So that's really cool. And I also read, too, that between takes, people would just roller roller, roller skate around the ring, too, and just have fun doing it. They'd actually play rollerball. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And the uh, the writer, which I said earlier, uh, a little story about him is that when they were doing press and everything for this movie, people loved it and everything, and people or executive, actual real-world executives were like, so, uh, what are the rules for this rollerball, and can you sell me the idea? And he's like, no, the point of the movie is, and like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Did you not learn that. anything? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like that little story uh, of him. But, uh, yeah, that's that's about it with rollerball this week. Way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, a lot of people mm-hmm. think this is going to be like a sports, like a uh, post-apocalyptic kind of movie, and mm-hmm. it's, it really isn't. Nice little curveball they throw you there. Yeah. So uh, so I can understand some people's disappointment with it if you were expecting something else. Oh, well, thank you, Brent, for uh, joining Jessalyn and I this week uh, for this episode. And we would love to have you back again sometime. Right, uh, for Mandy. We're going to go through Mandy. Yeah. We have to watch it. Uh, are there <laughs> any other... I thought of you in mind for this one because I know you like sports. Yes. And, um, is there any other sports movies that you like? That would fall maybe kind of towards the genre of film that we we talk about on this podcast. Sports-wise, hmm. 
I did like in this movie because it definitely parallels the NFL the most. And the mm-hmm. NFL has this whole thing of patriotism and war. Like, NFL is all about war and it's battle. Mm-hmm. And the military even pays the NFL to make it that way. And this movie definitely displays that. But sports movies like that, they all kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Uncle Drew. A recent movie. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. It was a fun movie. I was thinking more along the lines of maybe like a sports star in a movie. Uh, or, or like star. a... Or like a... Uh, no Holds Barred. You ever see that one with Hulk Hogan? I did not see that one. No. <laughs> uh, no, that, that's a classic. It's got uh, one of your favorite characters, Justin. Or one of your favorite actors in it. Oh, uh, shit. What's his name? He's always popping up in TV series. He plays, what, Satan in uh, that show with Supernatural... The blonde guy. Oh, Mark Pellegrino. Yeah, he's in that movie. Yeah, he's in Uh, Lost, Jacob. (laughs) Right, right. Mm -hmm. He's in there. Zeus, Tiny Zeus, Lister. So, well, okay. Well, uh, that's a really horrible movie Hulk Hogan in. Really? Hulk Hogan made a horrible movie? Hey, Suburban Commando was awesome, all right? (laughs) Kareem always shows up in movies here and there. Ah, maybe, uh, was that Game of Death, maybe? Airplane. Yeah, Airplane would be my favorite of his yeah. work. I'm think. talking about the genre movie we'll do in here, yeah. more along right. the lines of... They don't show up in those movies too often. Yeah, well, uh, Game Death, where Kareem yeah. is, fights Bruce Lee. Um, Will Chamberlain was supposed to fight Muhammad Ali. Oh, he was in, um, he was, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, he was in uh, the Conan the Destroyer. Oh, that's right. He was right, Bumbada. Yeah. Huh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shazam? How, how come? Did I get that right? I think so. Kazam? Kazam? Have you seen Kazam? No. No, I haven't seen that one either. The best part of Kazam is have you ever seen the Aaron Carter video? I'd no. beat Shaq in a game or something. Shaq makes a video years later where he plays Aaron Carter one on one again because he loses in Aaron Carter's video. Uh-huh. So then he actually plays him and destroys him. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the best part of Kazam is when Shaq shoots the shot and yells, I am Kazam as he shoots. <laughs> uh, so thank you guys for joining us and we will check you out next week thanks for listening thanks
Thank you.